Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Danny Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Uh, the UFC back in the apex this week for UFC Vegas 42, Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on that card. It's part of Farts, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think is going to make your wallet fat. Plus, I'll be interviewing two of the fighters on that show. First, I'll be talking to Sean Woodson as he gets ready for his bout with Colin Anglin. We talk a little bit about ring rust and the long time he had off leading into his last fight and why he feels like this one's going to be better. And speaking of long layoffs, I'm also talking to Leah Letson, who's been away for three years. And she gives a shout out to all the fans who helped her through this super tough time, as well as talking about the short title path to the UFC 145 pound title and why she feels like she can get at that. But before we get to any of that great content, I got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, you can catch my bonus pick each and every week. Last week, I cashed a huge plus 250 prop, and guess what? There's going to be a bonus pick of a big, juicy prop that's even bigger this week. That's right, an even bigger prop, but you're only going to catch it on the Top Turtle MMA page on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me now is Sean Woodson, who fights Colin Anglin at UFC Vegas 42. That fight is on November 13th. So, Sean, I, I want to start by talking about your last fight, because you picked up a really big win over Yusef Zalal your last time out, but your your post-fight comments didn't seem too positive about the experience. You, you didn't seem too positive about your performance. Can you share with us a little bit about why you felt that way and whether or not you still feel that way, you know, with a little bit of time removed? Yeah, um, I just I just didn't feel like myself at all out there, you know. I'm I'm my worst critic, and uh, yeah, I just I just I know what I'm capable of. I know you know where my I just know what I'm capable of, and I didn't show that that fight. And yeah, I just I remember as soon as I got in there, just I I felt that everything just felt off and awkward, and I I, I really got a strong feeling that it was because of the ring rust. You know, that was my first fight in a year about, it might've been like 10, 11 months, but yeah, it was about a year off. And yeah, ring rust definitely played a factor before that fight. I was a guy who didn't really believe in ring rust much, but I definitely felt it that fight. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, like I said, I'm my worst critic, man. I just know what I'm capable of. And I just wasn't happy with my performance at all. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about the ring rust thing. Cause it was, it, you know, just about a full year. You're a little bit over 11 months out of the cage. It was, it, for you, is ring rust more of a thing where it felt like you just couldn't find your timing? Did it feel like you didn't have certain yeah. techniques that you you were used to using? What what did it feel like for you? So yeah, just the timing and the speed and like my range, just all three of those combined, just just made for like a shitty fight in my opinion. I uh 
yeah, I just couldn't get and and that and that's something I pride myself on is like you know even when I cross train in other gyms or I train or you know other guys stop by our gyms and I'm sparring with new people, I pride myself on them being able to read people relatively fast and uh find my range, find my distance, and get my rhythm you know fast uh and yeah, that fight I just was not able to do that i uh the the speed felt off. I remember in the first round, he cracked me with a left hook pretty fast. And I'm like, I didn't even see it coming. And, you know, that just doesn't happen too often. And yeah, just, and warming up in the back, I'm sure you've heard me say it in other interviews, but yeah, in the back, I felt great. Walking out, I felt great. Wasn't nervous at all. But the moment I got in that uh, octagon and the fight kicked off, I just, everything felt off. And it just took me so long to get going and find my rhythm. I really didn't, even start to feel like myself until the third round, honestly. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just, it was, it was something I, something I'd never experienced before. You know, I know fights aren't, you know, fights are different from sparring in the gym and whatnot, but yeah, that particular fight, that particular feeling that I was, that I was getting, I, it's something I'd never felt before. Well, and then, uh, you know, you mentioned you started to feel like yourself in the third round. Does that give you a little bit more confidence going into this fight? Because obviously, you know, if you'd never felt like yourself, it would feel much worse. But because you had that moment, does it feel better? Well, yeah. So really where where I took confidence from is just, it. uh, yeah, I just took confidence in knowing that, you know, even on off days, I can still beat these guys. Even on off days, I can still, you know, hang with and beat the best in the world. And it, yeah, it also gives me confidence because, you know, like I said, I was feeling the way I was feeling that fight because it was a year off and I'm confident that I won't have that issue this fight because, uh, this fight is about five to six months removed from my last one. So that cuts that, that, uh, non-active time in half, you know, versus going back a year to, you know, five, six months. I feel like that'll make a huge difference in this fight. Yeah, and, and so I was going to ask you, too, you know, obviously this one being much closer than the last one, you're only gotten, you know, less than half of the layoff time. Did you feel right. like when you went back to the gym, you needed to make any adjustments based on that last fight? Or did you feel like just being able to get back in there quicker was going to help a lot of those things that you felt? Yeah, I honestly, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I always got stuff to improve on. I can always get better for sure. And that's, you know, that's my goal in between these fights. And I always am, you know, looking to do that. I'm never like, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm never looking like, I'm never feeling like, you know, okay, I'm a complete fighter and I don't, you know, have to sharpen up anything. Everything's good. I'm always trying to uh, get better. But yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain. I'm sorry. I'm kind of lost. Can you ask me that again? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just saying, did you feel like you need to make an adjustment or is just the time oh, yeah. difference going to be better? Yeah, 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 no. So, yeah, like, I didn't really feel like, you know, I'm I'm really honest with myself. If I, you know, if I felt like there were certain things that I needed, you know, adjustments I needed to make and things I need to work on for that fight, you know, I would definitely acknowledge that. But I honestly don't. I feel like it was solely that year out in that ring rust and that all I got, like, as long as I just don't let that happen again to where I'm, you know, sitting out for that long that just getting back in there at a sooner date, it would, you know, solve those issues I was having. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about cross training and in having that feeling with that, you can just pick people up when you're cross training. Now you said in the past, I've interviewed you and you said you've worked with James Krause, but it seems like most of the time I see that you're working at your primary gen at the world wolves. Den. Have you been doing cross training leading up for this fight, or is this one where you've decided to stay a little bit closer to home? 
yeah, I've, I'm, I've done this. I mean, I would have liked to, you know, go back out there at Glory and get some more cross training in with those guys after that fight with Yusuf. But, uh, you know, luck of the draw, I got a, another Factory X guy. And, you know, that's kind of like a conflict of interest with, with you know, Kraus and that relationship there. So, yeah, I wasn't able to do that this camp. This camp, I, I spent it back home the entire time with my team in Wolvesden. And, you know, we we got some uh, other local gyms here in St. Louis that guys come through and uh, – help me prepare for these fights, you know, guys from uh, Kyle Watson's gym come and help me prepare. Uh, and yeah, just, just, yeah, I stayed here in St. Louis and got training in with uh, my team, my team Wolves in here and the other local STL fighters that come through and help me prepare. Love it. Love the, love the local, uh, local teamwork there. Now you, you mentioned Kyle Watson, which is actually a name that, that sort of makes sense for fighting Colin Anglin. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a guy with good wrestling. You're fighting Colin Anglin, a guy who sort of, you know, has come out pretty much and said he is a wrestler. He is a guy who can box a little bit, but he likes to wrestle. What were your thoughts on sort of being offered a guy who, you know, is a lot like a lot of the guys you've had to face, which are dudes who don't want to strike with you? What, what was your thought on getting a guy who maybe explicitly doesn't want to strike with you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was, I'm happy with the matchup in Collins, but you know, I, I, I kind of was disappointed that I got to go up against uh, Mark Montoya and Factory X again. You know, I have a ton of respect for Mark Montoya and that gym. They, uh, yeah, I got all the you know world class, you know, world renowned gyms in the game. Those guys are probably who I you know re- got the most respect for. You know, they uh. They made a name for themselves from the ground up. I remember when they weren't really, you know, much of a big name and slowly but for surely they cemented their name as one of the best gyms in the world. And uh, so, yeah, I wasn't too happy about that, but the matchup in Colin, uh, yeah, I was super happy with, I was super happy with that matchup. It's a, it's a matchup where I feel like I, you know, all my skills will be on display. You know, I don't, I don't see my, he's a super tough, super tough guy, super tough opponent. And uh, I don't see myself, you know, being able to put him away early. I feel like, you know, there's going to be a fight that it's going to be a fight fight. You know, it's going to be a, a full fight. It's going to play out. It's going to take place everywhere. You know, we're going to, you know, fight in the clinch. We're going to, you know, be on the cage. The the fight will probably hit the mat at some point, and I'll be able to just show my full skill set. It'll take my full skill set to beat this guy. Well, I, I love that. Now, I was curious, too. You know, you mentioned it's going to take your full skill set. You are a guy who's more known for his striking than anything else. Do you feel like you've had to put extra time in the bank wrestling, extra time in the bank working jujitsu with those guys, like you said, like Kyle Watson? Is that something you've put extra emphasis on, knowing that England is your opponent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so so Kyle, so I, haven't, I, I haven't gotten any work with Kyle one-on-one himself for this camp, but he has a, he has a, a gym of fighters there that, he, that come over to my gym and I get cross-training in with, like, you know, uh, Colin Parr is one guy. Mm-hmm. There's, a, you know, a couple, a couple of, you know, Danny Moriarty. I'm, I'm pretty sure Danny Moriarty is full-time with us now, but I know he does a lot of training at Kyle Watson's too. And, yeah, just, you know, Kyle has always lended a helping hand to me throughout my entire career. But, uh, yeah, this, this, this camp, man, I've, I've, I've grappled more than I've ever grappled before because, you know, I know that's what this guy is coming to do. I've wrestled more than I've wrestled before. And, I mean, but truth be, truth be told, I mean, in between every fight and leading up to every fight, that is my main focus is to constantly work on my ground game. That's the area that I got to, you know, play catch up in the most. I've been striking all my life. I've been striking, you know, way longer than I've been grappling. So, yeah, I'm always trying to improve my grappling because I know – that's uh, where guys are going to try, and uh, that's where every one of my opponents are going to see their path to victory is 
through making it a grappling match with me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, before I let all my fighters go, I do like to try to get a prediction out of them. You said it's going to take every single bit of your game and all all different facets of your game. How do you see this one ending against Colin Anglin? Uh, I mean, man, this is such a crazy sport. Anything can happen. I really don't like to make predictions. <laughs> but, uh, like I said, I, I mean, I will say, like, I, I don't see myself putting them away, putting them away early. I'm uh, preparing myself for a dog fight. That's it. Seems like the only fight that this guy is in are that this guy is in is dog fights. And uh, so yeah, I mean, if the stoppage if the stoppage does come, which I'm going to be hunting for it, I'm going to be looking for it right off the bat. But if if I if I am able to get the stoppage, I see it coming. It most likely in the third round. You know, this guy he comes in shape. He's super tough and. Uh, yeah, I've, I've made sure that I'm that I'm in shape, and that you know, as long as he's you know, as long as he keeps coming forward and he's willing to take it, I'm I'm going to be prepared to keep dishing it out. So, uh, yeah, if he, uh, yeah, if he can, it, it, I, and and yeah, I just see myself weathering his storm and just him not being able to weather mine. Well, I love it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Once again, fans, this is Sean Woodson, who fights Colin Anglin at UFC Vegas 42. That fight is, of course, on November 13th this weekend. Sean, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you wanting to interview me. I appreciate your time as well. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean Woodson. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Greenlee, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, UFT 268 was absolute pure insanity. There's about a million things we could talk about right now. You know, Kamara Usman, we could talk about Justin Gaethje versus Chandler. We could talk about Rose Namajunas and the close split decision. What was the biggest storyline for you? I think the biggest storyline for me is Usman's another Lego block on the tower of the legacy that he's building. I have no idea if I just pulled off that metaphor, but... What I'm saying is Usman is getting there, and he's not there there at GOAT status. And I love Dana White just breaking that out at the post-fight press conference, saying, oh, he's the greatest of all time. Well, first of all, he is at five defenses. He's only defended against three different people because he's had two rematches in those five defenses. He's got a little bit more to go for GSP. He reminds me so much of GSP because a lot of it's like a crisp jab, and he can mix in his wrestling when he absolutely needs to. But that all being said, I just I'm more and more impressed with Usman every time I see him. That's my number one storyline. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. And the the thing for me too is like with with this win, he you know the Masvidal rematch we didn't need to see, right? The the Masvidal rematch did nothing for me. This rematch did something for me. This rematch showed mm-hmm. me that he was in a really close fight with with Colby Covington the first time, so close that that a couple of judges, I think, had Colby winning going into the fifth three, round. Yeah, yeah, 3-1, 3-1, yeah, going which, into the which, which is crazy to me. Um, I, You know, I don't agree with that scorecard, but it was in such a way that Colby could have won that title that night. He comes back, and he not only beats Colby, but he beats Colby so badly that when they're about to announce the scorecards, Colby doesn't even look excited. Like, Colby can't even <laughs> pretend in that moment that he thinks he won. Right. And for Colby Covington, of all people, to not even be able to put on a facade that maybe he won the fight, dude, he had to have had the shit beat out of him in order for that to happen. So, and obviously the scorecards were close because, you know, they were scored by round, not by damage. But even Colby knew. No, nobody in this whole place is stupid enough to give me three rounds in that fight. 
and that's one of the most conceded guys in in MMA history. So yeah, like like you said, it, it is another building block to his legacy. Uh, I'm not sure he's GSP status yet. He's getting there for sure. Um, but again, like th- this rematch showed that he, especially under Trevor Whitman, is getting a ton better. Now, you mentioned it. I don't think we really need to go into it. If you haven't seen it, go watch Gaethje Chandler, Absolute War, all that was expected. Uh, Rose, Whaley, you know, what I want to say there is, you know, Rose is getting into GOAT female status for me, uh, female fighter status. And uh, really props to the UFC matchmakers, too, because we give them a lot of shit for rematches that no one asked for or necessarily wanted to see or they just run them back so quickly and people don't have time to make those adjustments per se so i actually really like a rematch that sometimes like has a fight or two buffer in between it for each fighter but that being said you know both fights were so technical the co-main events it was just a great job on ufc matchmakers part in my opinion uh just matching up those two title fight rematches because i was i sat there with popcorn watching both of them and i was not unhappy that we got to run both of those back you know what i mean yeah i, I wasn't happy about the way Li Zhang won mostly because i i thought carla esparza should have gotten that shot and i still think carla esparza should get the next shot which is a whole nother podcast and a whole nother you know set of talking points that uh dana white quelched or you know sparked or whatever you want to call what he did by saying those things about carla esparza uh, but like, so I originally wanted to see that, but that being said, you're right. It, it was, it was probably the most competitive fight that you could make happen. Um, and yeah, like props to Rose Nami Yunus for now fighting three immediate rematches in a row and somehow making adjustments in every single one of them and winning every single one of them. She's now four and oh in rematches in her career, which is, it, that's pretty damn impressive, uh, for anybody really, because you know, unless you're. Like you said, she she's approaching goat status there. Unless you're a goat, like beating the same people more than once, especially back to back, that's a crazy thing to do. All right, we're gonna do something live now. I didn't warn you about this, Gumby, but I assume your MMA prowess will get you through it. Maybe this turns into its own segment on the show. I'd like to do a little mini breakdown, much like we do with fights, dogs, and parlays. Not a breakdown per se, but I want to get your opinion on a few different aspects of UFC 268. So think of the card, go into your mind's eye now, think of all the fighters, think of all the fight outcomes. Who do you think got one step closer or closest to a title fight out of everyone that fought on that night? Obviously take away the champions. And maybe you could even say, you know, Colby Covington not having been knocked out. He wins three more fights. He's right back in the title mix. Who do you think made the best case for themselves to be fighting in a title within the next 24 months, let's say. So I will say, first and foremost, I, I think Justin Gaethje gets the next title shot now. Um, so Boom. I, I would say him. Like, he he is by and far the person who made probably the biggest claim to anything on the whole night. Um, and that includes the champs winning. That includes Marlon Vera knocking out Frankie Edgar. Um, he, he just went out there and was like, you're thinking about giving this title shot to Islam Makashev? That's cute. Remember that I fight like this. Um, and I can bring you this against Poye. I can bring you this against Oliveira. I can bring you this against whatever you want. Uh, and, and for me, that's a big one for him. The other one I will say took a massive step forward that I don't think enough people are talking about is Nasoradi and Imovov. Like, I, I don't think people are talking about how good this kid is enough. 
Um, you know, he he's on a nice winning streak at middleweight. He just absolutely took Edmund Shabazian and dismantled him in like a violent way. And I know people were like, oh, you know, well, you know, Shabazian's not the same as we thought he was. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Yeah, he also lost to Derek Brunson and Jack Hermanson. And now we have to put Nasoruddin Imovov in the same conversation as that. And by the way, Jack Hermanson couldn't finish him. Imovov finished him in the second round faster than Brunson and more so than Jack Hermanson. And not for anything, Edmund Shabazian knocked out Brad Tavares. He looked like he didn't know what to do with Nasoruddin Imovov, who is both a fun striker and showed like some takedown game that I don't think a lot of people knew he had. So, uh, yeah, definitely Justin Gaethje, but I will say sleeper pick in there in the story of Ian Mubov. How about you? Um, yeah, I I think Gaethje is the answer there. Um, I don't necessarily – I think with 155, there are so many different combinations and outcomes here that with Gaethje, I guess – yeah, if – yeah, you know what? You're right. If whether Oliveira or Poirier is that the next title fight? Yeah, that's Am the, next, wrong that's the that? next one. Yeah, yeah, that's the next. Yeah. One. So whether I, I mean I would obviously I can't wait to see Justin Gaethje fight either of them. So yeah, I guess you're right in Gaethje. Here's my next question to you: as the prince of the prelims, who was your prelim performer of the night? Uh, I'm gonna give it a two way tie. So uh, first of all, oh, I, four fights and you're giving it a two. Oh, no, no. Okay. Oh, the, just the four fight prelims. Cause there were five. We're not talking about the early prelims either. I was thinking I was actually, I actually, hold on. Let me rephrase my question. Who is your early prelim performer of the night? That's oh, what I wanted. Oh, that, so that one's really hard too, because so if you give me just that top prelim, you know, I mentioned this or off. I think he's the clear cut on the like top of that card, but man, dude, like, Ian Gary, the welterweight, uh, just sparking Jordan Williams with one second left in the first round. You know, he evoked Conor McGregor in his post-fight speech. He's like, it, it's funny, he's kind of like a, a polite Conor McGregor, which is like a bizarre thing to say. And then you got Kamzat Shemaev, who's like a little bit more violent and vulgar than, than Habib. We got like almost like evil Habib and like nice Conor going right now, which is fucking really fun. Um, So yeah, I, I think Ian Gary, but also... Like, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the name Chris Huggy Bear Barnett, right? Because, like, the dude throws a spinning heel kick looking like he does. five foot ten, two sixty five, and then does a front flip, lands on his butt, you know, cuts a promo for Jean Vellante, break dances. Like, dude, what is not to love about that dude? And I've always loved him. I loved him back when he was fighting at 330 pounds in an open white Grand Prix in Korea. But, like... I mean, like, how cool is it to see him get a spinning heel kick KO in the UFC? All right, here's my last question to you for our mini UFC 268 breakdown, because I like thinking of things in different ways. And I sort of asked this at the top in a way, but I'll be more pointed in it. I want you to give your... How do I want to phrase this? Give me the fighter who lost who you would buy stock in right now. And I'm going to take out Weili Zhang because she lost via split decision. So I want you to go through the people who lost via unanimous decision in which there were four of them, the people who got KO'd or TKO'd in which there were a lot of them. seven of them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them, a lot of finishes on an MSG card. You got to love it. Who would you buy stock in to be a future champion out of all those people? Not saying you would just go out on the street and buy stock in them. 
I'm just saying out of the people who lost on Saturday, who do you still have the most belief in? So, I mean, like, it's weird because if you say the buy stock in piece to it, that that assumes that I want to buy low and, and sell high. But, like, if I'm looking for somebody who I think is most likely to, I think Colby Covington will be champ when Kamar Usman decides to walk away. When Kamar Usman gets Ooh. boarded, when Kamar Usman gets boarded this game, Colby Covington is the second best fighter at, uh, at welterweight. That and that I'm positive. Right. That. The question is, is just can Colby outlast Kamar Usman in his career? And I think he will because I, I don't think Kamaru is finding this as fun as he used to. Um, you know, he's talking about fighting Canelo Alvarez. He's fighting about like I don't need 30 million when I've got 20 million. Like I, I think he's on the way out, and I think Colby would be that person. But if we're talking about somebody who I would who I would buy super low on, um, I really like Phil Hawes. I, I know he got knocked out by Chris Curtis on, like, basically short notice. It seems sort of like a fluky KO, but that dude beat Nasordini Mavov, who we talked about before. He was undefeated in the UFC. He beat Jacob Nalkin, who has, you know, looked really good since then. He beat one of the Dawkins brothers, Kyle Dawkins, in his last fight. The guy looks like a killer, and he just got caught by somebody he wasn't ready for on short notice. I think you're going to see him back in the top 15 of the UFC middleweight in almost no time. And he's super athletic, so I think that plays really well. So he's the person I would buy a low price stock on. But if I was looking to find that person who's going to be the next champ or could be a champ, I think I would, as much as it pains me to say, I think I would pick Kobe Covington. I, I agree completely. A mad respect for the Phil Dawes pick. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It's Colby Covington. And, you know, I just get it's the one in one a scenario. I always keep that phrase. Um, and I can't predict when Us- I agree with you that Usman seems to be talking recently like he's not long for this game. But who's to say that Colby is as well? Um, you know, MMA careers could be fickle that way. But I get huge Joseph Benavidez vibes from Colby Covington where we're going to look back and say if Usman didn't exist. This would have been the Colby Covington era, much like I think if Demetrius Johnson didn't exist, I think Benavidez would have snuck in a title shot in there at some point at 125. Yeah, but he, he would have anyway, been. A long, I think he would have been a long time champ. Right, exactly, and, I, and who, who knows? We might look back at Colby the same way. All right, that was fun. Let's get to what brought us to the dance, though. It's our favorite segment on the show: fights, dogs, and parlays for this upcoming. UFC fight night. Gumby, before we get into our favorite segment on the show, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fight Dogs and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Dogs and Parlays brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social. It's a Max Holloway fight week, bitches. OMG, <laughs> how exciting is this? Max Holloway, the minus 650 favorite to Yair Rodriguez, who, I mean, plus 460 for Yair is quite tempting to me, but we'll get into it right now. Yair Rodriguez is coming off a unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens. Before that was the no contest accidental eye poke. Uh, K.O. Chinsung Jung, before that, uh, performance of the night, fight of the night, crazy fight, go see it, happened with one second left in the fight. He lost via TKO to Frankie Edgar before that. So he's 2-0-1 since that Frankie Edgar loss all the way back in 2017. Can't accuse Jair Rodriguez of staying active. He's only fought three times in four years. And now he's fighting the former champ and a person who... 
If I read the stat right this morning, don't quote me on it exactly. I think he's about 149 strikes away from 3,000 strikes landed in the UFC. 3,000, the first person that had 3,000 strikes. The man is an output machine, much like Colby Covington is, but I think even crisper and better boxing. Uh, he's coming up a win over Calvin Cater via unanimous decision. Of course, lost in back-to-back title matches. First lost his belt to Alexander Volkanovsky and then lost again via split decision in the rematch. So uh, if you want to peel it back a little further, beat Frankie Edgar uh, defending his UFC featherweight title back in July of 2019. Lost to Poirier in April of 2019. That was a lightweight bout for the interim UFC title. That's a story for another day, how that came to pass. Beat Brian Ortega in a really nice TKO um, in the fourth round back in December of 2018. And, uh, of course, beat Jose Aldo for the belt twice. Uh, He won the unified featherweight title back in June of 2017, then defended it right again against Aldo in December of 2017. So that all is to say, in the past five years, uh, Max Holloway is 6-3 and three with two losses to Alexander Volkanovsky and one loss to Dustin Poirier at lightweight. He is a 650 favorite here. Who you got? Yo, I can't believe he's a 650 favorite. Like, it, it seems crazy, right? Like, it's, Yair Rodriguez is really good. Um, It seems like really bad odds, and if you actually look, it, it's even trending further. You know, again, I know we set these lines and put them in our, our doc that we look at. Uh, a little bit earlier in the week, but it, it's trending even further. I'm seeing him in some places now at negative 700, negative 750. People are still betting on him at negative 650, which is crazy to me. That being said, I'm going to take him to win. He obviously deserves to win this, but the the piece for me that helps me decide that I need to pick him and not Yair Rodriguez and not give Yair Rodriguez striking enough credit to consider picking him at 460 is remember that Yair Rodriguez got outstruck by Chan Sung Jung for four and a half rounds, like, pretty handily, uh, before landing that crazy up elbow. And I know it goes down as a win in one of our favorite knockouts of all time. He he was getting beat badly. Um, and so, like, if you're getting outstruck by Korean Zombie, everybody just saw what Max Holloway did to Calvin Cater. I think he's going to do something similar to, to Yair Rodriguez here. Um, and, you know... It's also worth mentioning, Yair Rodriguez is probably going to have some ring rust here. Um, and that's that's probably upsetting, but once you get Max Holloway rolling, he doesn't stop. All right. Um, I agree. I don't think it's a bad thing to just throw, you know, whatever your, I guess, risk tolerance is and however big your bank account is. I, I don't know, 50 bucks on Yair Rodriguez, 20 bucks on Yair Rodriguez, those odds. Eh, what's the harm? All right, uh, let's get to a heavyweight title fight, um, and it's going to be Ben Rothwell, a minus-140 favorite, to Ro- Marcus Rogerio de Lima, a plus-120 dog. Rothwell, very interesting case here. He's been fighting for 20 years. This is an IFL and affliction veteran, made his UFC debut in 2009 against Cain Velasquez, had a three-year layoff uh, from 2016 to 2019, uh, and since coming back in 2019, he is 3-3. Three and three. He's lost to Blagov Ivanov, uh, lost to Andrei Arlovsky, both via decision. TKO'd Stefan Struve, took a split decision win over Ovin St. Preux. Uh, unanimous decision lost to Marcin Tabora, and he beat the aforementioned Chris Barnett via guillotine choke back in May of 2021. So 3-3 three and three since coming back to the UFC. Uh, he is favored here. 
And uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, also uh, a UFC veteran, you could say at this point. Um, he's been in the UFC since 2014. He's coming off a win over Maurice Green, lost to Alexander Romanoff before that, beat Ben Sosoli before that via TKO, lost to Stefan Struve, win over Adam Wirtschirk. So he's just one win, one loss, one win, one loss. And that is actually through his entire UFC career, which is pretty crazy. Uh, slight dog here at plus 120. Who you got? I'm going with Ben Rothwell, and it's for one really, really, really obvious reason. All right, look, let, let's quick take a quick stroll down Marcos Rogerio de Lima's losses. Submission due to a forearm choke. Submission due to an arm <laughs> triangle choke. Submission due to a Von Flu choke. Submission due to a guillotine choke. Submission due to a rear naked choke. All right, so those are his five last losses. Now, let's talk about Ben Rothwell and what that big fat gagood happens to do extremely well. When somebody shoots a takedown on him, that dude's go-go choke is out of this world. And I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, like go empty the bank on the Ben Rothwell sub prop. But, dude, he go-go choked Huggy Bear Barnett. He go-go choked Josh Barnett, which is a much harder Barnett to to, to go-go choke, and Meathead Mitrione. The dude's got three really good submission wins in, in his last, like, no, nah, I don't know. I think that was his last five wins. The guy's really good at, at jiu-jitsu and really good at defensive jiu-jitsu. I think he holds his own enough on the feet against Rogerio de Lima, makes him shoot, and we're going to see go-go choke number four. I, I totally agree, and I feel like there's some sort of parallel with the movie Elf because you would think someone from Brazil, as Marcos Rogerio de Lima is, would be better at Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's not, so it <laughs> reminds me of Elf. Who wasn't really a real elf. Okay. Uh, let's get on then to the next fight, which is Cynthia Cavillo, a minus 120 favorite. Andrea KGB Lee is betting off at a plus 100. So very close fight here. KGB Lee uh, debuted in the UFC, went 3-0, and and then lost three in a row to the likes of Joanne Calderwood, Lauren Murphy, and Roxanne Matafari. Uh, so, you know, pretty good names there to lose to, all via decision, two of them being split. Uh, and then came back and beat Antonina Shevchenko back in May of this year. So overall, she's four and three in the UFC and betting off at a plus 100. Cynthia Cavillo, the very slight favorite, is on a two-fight losing streak. She lost to Caitlin Chukagian via unanimous decision, beat Jessica Andrade via TKO. Uh, I'm sorry, lost to Jessica Andrade via TKO. So 0-2, oh uh, dating back to... 2020 or actually she also beat jessica i in 2020 so she's one and two in her last three and her last three fights going back to 2020 and coming in here as the very slight favorite who you taking i'm gonna take calvillo and i actually think this line is ripe for abuse here because if you look at all of those losses for andrea lee most of it was just not being able to deal with the physicality and the wrestling of some fighters you know you mentioned roxanne matafari she bodied her up. She took her down four times and did so pretty freaking easily. And for me, if, if Roxanne Modafari is taking you down, it's usually, not that she's not a very skilled woman, but it's usually due to, you know, just grit, determination, and willingness to try three or four takedowns and chain takedowns together. Because really, Roxy doesn't get takedowns any other way. You know, like she's not the strongest person or the most athletic person. Now you're going to be fighting Cynthia Kelvey, who is actually good at taking people down. She's a really great wrestler. Um, and I think, you know, that, that just lends itself to beating the hell out of somebody like Andrea Lee, who has trouble with people who are overly strong and who are overly talk. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going with Cynthia Calvillo, and, and she's actually 
as you'll see in a little bit, part of our parlay later on. Boom. Well, let's get to our dog of the week, Joel Alvarez, a plus 190. Why do we like him? So I like Alvarez over Tiago Moises. I I know people are going to find this crazy because he's a guy who gives up a lot of takedowns. But I think he's the underdog here because I think he intentionally has given up takedowns in the past to hit his submissions. Uh, And it's worked like a charm. Once it hits the ground, the dude sweeps you and submits you. I think he holds his own with Tiago Moises here. And that's if Tiago Moises even wants to go to the ground with him. You know, Moises is a a very good grappler. um, But I think he's going to want to try to strike here. And I actually give Alvarez the advantage on the feet here too. So plus 190, I'm liking Joel Alvarez at that price. All right, our parlay to play is two people we've already mentioned here today. I think you spoiler alerted us on, on Cavijo already. Uh, I'll leave you to reveal who we're pairing her together with, but I will say it gets you plus 215 odds. Yeah, I'm going to put it with Ben Rothwell, and it's weird because we don't usually just create a parlay with our top three fights, um, but they, these are two of the ones I'm the most sure about. They're actually two of the very few favorites who I like on this card. You know, we picked three favorites on the, the top of the show. I like a lot of underdogs on this card, but Ben Rothwell, you got to imagine he's going to get that choke. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, you know she's going to dominate in the wrestling and, and hey, if you can get those two together at over plus 200, that, that seems like a steal to me. And just a quick brag before we let you go for the week, our parlay last week, plus 255 with Nasuruddin Imovov and Chris Barnett, who both look fantastic, obviously hit. So maybe you should play Rothwell and Calvillo with us too. Boom. I love it. This train is a rumbling down the tracks, Gumby. Where are we going next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Leah Letson. She talks about the three-year layoff she had for fighting, uh, how she changed up camps, what she did in that three years off, and fighting in the very weird women's featherweight division. And, of course, we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me now is Leah Letson, who fights Felicia Spencer at UFC Vegas 42. That fight is this weekend, November 13th, so... Leah, obviously, you made your UFC debut three years ago now. There there were tons of health obstacles and so many other things that got into the way. And and those are well documented at this time. So I'm not going to dig too much into it. But I I just want to know, what does it finally feel like to be in a fight week? We're talking Sunday here. You are in a fight week for a fight that you're going to have in the UFC. What's it feel like after all this time? Honestly, it's hard to even believe it's real life. (laughs) It's been so long that I've been waiting for this moment. It's it's amazing. I'm so excited. And I honestly, for a long time, didn't know if this moment was ever going to happen again. So it's it's totally surreal that it's really happening and I'm actually going to be fighting again. Because for the longest time, I didn't know if I was ever going to fight again at all. So I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> when I was going to ask you that too, like how much of that doubt had seeped in there? How, how close were you to saying like, screw it, I'm not going to do this? How, how close was that to being a reality in your life? There were several times where I considered it, but then I would think, well, what else would I do with myself? And I, I did a lot of soul searching, and I call it like my, my quarter-life crisis, right, because I'm still in my 20s. Um, but I, I didn't know what, what else I was going to do, and I was searching and searching and searching, and I was like, no, I truly believe that this is my passion. I'm going to get back there. I'm going to be determined. And I had a lot of family and friends that were very supportive and encouraging, and I also had a lot of fans that reached out to me and kept encouraging me throughout the three years that I took off. And that was so nice to have such a good support base, um, a fan base, even taking that much time off. And that honestly helped keep me going. And I, I never, I never quite gave up. I was, I was close to it a couple of times. There were some really dark times in there, but I never did quite give up. 
And I'm assuming a lot of those fans come from your UFC debut, which was a really exciting fight with Julia Stoliarenko. I'm curious as, you know, that feels probably like a lifetime ago now, but how much of that fight you feel like helped encourage you? Because, you know, you've seen both her and Macy Chazon and, and uh, you know, other people who you beat in the Ultimate Fighter House, you know, Bay Malecki, have really good careers. How much of that experience has sort of carried you through this time? I mean, I'd say a lot of it. Um, I had a lot of fans even before I made my USC debut, though, and they've stayed loyal to me even as a local-level amateur all the way to being a local-level pro and then throughout the Ultimate Fighter, and I just continued to gain a strong fan base, and it's, it means a lot to me that they've been so supportive. And um, honestly, seeing Macy and uh, Yulia and all of my other teammates go on to have successful careers, it's it's been encouraging, and I'm like, okay, if they can do it, I can also get back there, and I can have a successful career, too. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I, I want to ask a little bit about the choice to fight at 145 pounds here, because obviously, you know, you're on the Ultimate Fighter for 145 pounders, but, you know, you fought at 35. We saw that your last two bookings that obviously fell through at this time, those were at 35 as well. What, what was the thought process in deciding this is going to be a featherweight fight, and you were going to go featherweight next? Well, with all of my health issues, um, my doctor and myself and the people at the Performance Institute kind of decided that it wasn't really a smart idea for me to try to cut a bunch of weight for this first fight back. Um, they wanted me to maintain my health, and we were worried about if I did a big weight cut, what that would do to my health, especially after having so many issues over the past few years. So they really wanted to have this first fight at least be at 145 coming back. Okay, so so it sounds like in that that you know the caveats you put in there in this first fight and win in my first try back and all of that kind of stuff. So it sounds like the future for you is thirty five. Should this go well? Should should you feel like you could do it again? You you feel like thirty five is in your your immediate future? I I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm I'm definitely open to going to thirty five again. I kind of like the idea of doing both weight classes, to be honest, kind of like Amanda Nunez. So um, I feel comfortable. I feel strong at 145, but I I definitely would be incredibly strong for 135. So um, once my health and my doctor um, is cleared, has cleared me to, to fight at 135, I definitely would consider going back down to 135 again. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you mentioned the name Amanda Nunez, which is obviously if you fight at 35 and 45, the name you think about all the time. But I'm curious, you know, at 45 right now, it's a weird division, right? Like, it's almost a non-existent division. Sometimes it's an existent division. Sometimes it looks like they're going to invest in it. Sometimes it looks like it isn't. But the bottom line is, is there seems to be a short shortcut to the top through 45. Is that something that's crossed your mind as well? Definitely. Um, I Honestly, I, I'll fight whoever they want to put in front of me, but... Um, the, the chance of having a title fight at 145 is obviously going to come way sooner than if I drop down to 135. So um, I, I like the idea of going to both weight classes, but it's definitely more of a possibility that I'll get a title fight um, a lot sooner if I stay at 145 for now. And uh, it's kind of an exciting and exhilarating type of thought, you know? Um, it's crazy to think that in a couple fights I could be potentially fighting for the title. So that's that's insane. It's exciting. <laughs> it, it sounds exciting. And, and you know, you sort of have the perfect first opponent to get back on that track, right? You're fighting Felicia Spencer, somebody who has fought for the title. Um, what do you think about when they offered you, a, you know, former title challenger in your matchup to come back? Um, I 
pretty much accepted it right away. I talked to my coaches briefly, but I was, I pretty much accepted it right away because like I said, I do, I do want to fight for the title one day and I need to fight the best. And she's one of the toughest girls around. I mean, she's fought cyborg. She went the distance with cyborg. She went the distance with Amanda Nunes. What better opponent to test my skills against than, than Felicia Spencer. So I thought it was like the perfect matchup for me. And obviously, when we talk about Felicia Spencer, we talk about her grappling, right? That's the first thing out of everybody's mouth when when she gets brought up. How, how do you think your grappling matches up with hers in this, you know, in this exciting matchup at 45? Well, obviously, I have to believe that my grappling is better, right? <laughs> um, I I got I got to believe in myself here, and a lot of people don't know what to expect from me. It's been three years. I've changed gyms, I've changed camps, so my my whole fight camp has been designed differently. I've been working with different coaches. Um, I'm a completely different fighter than the last time you saw me. So my grappling has gotten a hundred times better. My striking's gotten so much better. Like I've improved everywhere. So you're going to see a very new and improved version of myself. Well, well let's talk a little bit about those challenges before we move on to, because you, you said you, you changed fight camps. What, what was behind the idea to change fight camps? And, and can you detail a little bit of the moves for us? Um, I just, I knew I needed a change. Um, sometimes the environment at certain gyms, they just, they don't mesh well with you. So I, I just knew it was time for a change. And, um, I, I came across another fight team in the Milwaukee area, um, Daniel Wanderlei with Wanderlei Jiu-Jitsu and he had Joe Nichols and they were both former coaches at Rufus Sport and they started their own gym and they are amazing world-renowned coaches. And I'm so excited to be with them. Um, I'm, I'm so so happy um, that I was able to change gyms and go to such a welcoming and warm environment. And they've been very, very patient with me throughout my health issues and all that. So I'm, I'm very excited to be fighting under their, their gym name. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, out of curiosity, how, how long have you had with them? Has it been, you know, not just a full training camp, but has it been a year? Have you had a year and a half with them? What, what has it been like with them? I started training with them back in January. So it's been not quite a year, but almost a year. And it's, I've been working with them almost um, every day for the past year. And it, we've gotten really, really close. So um, it feels like a lot longer than the 11 months that it has been. Yeah. And that, that's certainly a long time in, in fight camp standards. So you, you've, you've obviously yeah. had, had some time to work with them. So, you know, I, before I, I let any of my fighters go here, I always like to ask them for a prediction. You're fighting Felicia Spencer. You mentioned she had gone the distance with Amanda Nunes. She's gone the distance with Cyborg. What's your prediction here? Are you going to be the one to get her out here and make the statement? That's my hope. Honestly, my goal is to, to be the first one to, to finish her, um, prove that I belong back in the octagon, prove that I'm um, ready and on my way to getting that title shot. Um, I, I really want to be the first one to, to, to finish Felicia Spencer. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This I can't is... tell you how. That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we wouldn't ask for too many trade secrets, but uh, <laughs> we, we do appreciate the prediction of the finish. So once again, fans, this is Leah Letson who fights Felicia Spencer at UFC Vegas 42. That fight is on November 13th this Saturday. Leah, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. 
Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Toronto. We'll catch you then.